Welcome, Investigator. Evil is on the rise. Crime is escalating. Our mission is to eliminate the crime by exposing evil, examine why it manifests, and highlight the brave souls that confront it every day. Join us as we work together to bring justice to every victim. Welcome to All Things Crime. Here's your host, Jared Bradley. One thing I wanted to really talk to you about, in addition to comparing crime levels of when you were active with NYPD now, and kind of the trends, it's like New York City hasn't always, and I'm talking back in the 50s and 60s, you know, way back when. Back then, has New York always been really dangerous up until the 90s? Or is it kind of ebbed and flowed? Again, stats like that weren't kept. I don't remember exactly what year they started keeping the stats, but I believe maybe in the mid-60s they started keeping stats. Okay. But there's been always been parts of New York that were sketchy, always. And like any big city, there's always parts that, you know, like you're told as a a kid, you don't go there. Yeah, you don't go there in the day, and sometimes you don't... Well, you definitely don't venture at night. I mean, when I was a kid, the 42nd Street area, you didn't go there in a day. I mean, we went as a group of friends, we would go. But, I mean, now it's Disneyland. It's just the way things change and progress in life. But what we're seeing now, the trends we're seeing now, it's younger people committing these crimes than when I was on the street. I was in plain clothes, what we call anti-crime, for six years. And that was the, um, the career path to becoming a detective. And in plain clothes, we were hunters, basically. We would look for people that looked like they were going to do something. And we'd follow them, basically, until they did something. Or you were taught what to look for as far as someone carrying a weapon, a bulge, or a movement to their waistband, or something to adjust it, because they're not used to carrying a gun. I mean, we carry guns all the time, and you have to think about, look at the moves we make. You might pat it, you might hit it with your arm, your elbow, hike your pants up. So you have to now put that on the public. And we would get a number of guns. I think in a, maybe in a week's time, we would two or three guns a week. We would bring in, if they weren't 12 or 13-year-olds, they were few and far between. Nowadays, it seems that a lot of these shootings and homicides are being done by younger and younger people. And also the wanton violence. It seems like it's not to specific areas like it used to be, or it used to be involved in the drug trade. It's a lot of gangs now that there weren't before. I mean, gangs were always the West Coast. You know, think of L.A., that area, with gang stuff. But New York City has gotten a much larger gang population now. It started during my tenure. I was a cop from 79 to the end of 01. We had gang units then, but nothing like it is now. The prevalence of gangs now is, I think, comparable to the West Coast. And we're experiencing drive-by shootings. A lot of this is going on these mopeds and scooters. There are a lot of initiatives that the police department's doing now to confiscate these illegal vehicles because that's, I mean, what's happening is people on the back of them, you know, they're two riders, they're doing robberies, grand larcenies, carjackings, and they're getting away on these scooters because they can go in and out of traffic on the sidewalks, and it's very hard to catch them. So that's going on now. That's different, you know, than what we, the traditional crime that we were used to. And it seems that the murder rate is not what it was 
but the shootings are up. You know, it, it's like, I don't know if the hospitals are better at patching people up or these guys just don't hit their targets, their intended targets as much. There's a lot of collateral damage now. You got a lot of innocent bystanders, kids, elderly people getting shot where that wasn't real. We had it, but not to the extent we have it now. And just the other night, there were two young people shot and killed maybe seven, eight blocks from my house in a drive-by shooting in a car. And that that hits home now. That's very scary for my family. It seems like 20 years ago, even amongst the gang members, there was still like an honor code yeah. where, you know, the gangs were, or the criminals would, you know, they had a beef with each other, but shooting somebody, you're just spraying the sidewalk with bullets and hitting, you know, innocent bystanders, you know, a, a grandmother. I mean, there was still some respect back then. Whereas now it seems that whole value of life is so diminished that a lot of people are, they're just, they just don't care anymore. And there's no repercussion. I mean, it's very rare that the police can take down any violent perpetrator without a battle, without a fight. Again, what I experienced in my career was, yes, a little cop fighters, but it was always business. In other words, it's your business to commit a crime. It's our business to arrest you for it. It's nothing personal here. I didn't get overly physical with you. Once the handcuffs were on, that's it. The battle's over. It's business. You didn't shoot anyone in my family. You didn't hurt anyone close to me. So it's nothing personal. This is my job. And as a criminal, that was your job, to be a criminal. And there was a respect factor with the police. Nowadays, there's definitely no respect factor with the police department. And these people in the street are fighting cops. And again, the type of violence is different. Again, a lot of innocents are getting shot and killed, stabbed, and runs the gamut. We also have a big problem with the mentally ill. And always the mentally ill seem to congregate in our subway system. That's been an issue, I believe, since the subways were open, you know? And when you have people that are for no, I don't know, maybe they don't like the color of your shirt, and they push you in front of a moving train. We had an incident that happened, uh, was it this morning, I believe, where uh, one of the workers, the transit authority workers, guy attacked him with a hammer, and then he hid under a train. So the cops had to shut the power off, they had to get him out from the train, and he was brought to Bellevue Hospital for a psychiatric evaluation. He'll be there for 72 hours, and he'll be released. The mental health situation is really bad in New York right now. Really bad. Plus, we have this huge influx of migrants coming in busloads are coming in and that adds a whole new perspective on top of you know the activity we already have it's so it's a bad situation bad situation oh yeah well i thought it was interesting that despite they're saying you know once this whole uh, title 42 and everything goes away the border right now the border has between five and eight thousand people a day coming across and I, I think it told of a battle. It's unreal. Well, but they're saying once Title 42 ends, it could be no. 15, 18,000 a day. That's the size of the city I live in. It's like, will there any, will there be Every anybody day? left in South America? <laughs> I mean, you know. Well, they say something like 1.6 billion people, if given the option to come to the United States, would come. And I'm telling you, they're coming. They, you know, they think that right now is the time to get in, and it is. Jeez. Look, 
our country is built on immigrants, but come in the right way. I hear that a lot, and I 100% agree that, but, you know, even back in the day when we were dependent on immigration, there was also this word that nobody, especially in Washington, D.C., wants to say, and that's called assimilation. You know, all of the immigrants back in the 1800s and early 1900s, they were coming here for the purpose of becoming American. They wanted to participate in this grand experiment called America. They wanted to become Americans. Yes, they were always Italians or Jewish or Russians or Mexicans or, you know, whatever, or English. It didn't matter. But once they got here, they became American. I mean, you were in the armed forces. Our armed forces were always a demographic of what our immigrants were. You had waves of, like you said, Italian immigrants, Jewish immigrants, Chinese immigrants, Russian immigrants. You know, you had different waves of them, and they would become here, like you said, assimilate, become citizens, join the military. You know, they would join civil, they were civil service workers, a lot of them. And again, be part of this American dream, build a family and get a state in this country. And now it's crazy. It's really crazy. And I don't know what the answer is. I really know. I mean, they say that a country is only as strong as its borders. We have an open border like this. Yeah, we don't have a border. I've been there. I was down there. There was a county down in Texas that spans a good portion of the kind of the Brownsville area, the very south part of Texas that borders with Mexico. And after we got done with the training, one of the detectives actually took me down to the actual border. And while we were standing there, we were looking just across the river and, you know, we could see the city that was opposite of it. We saw three guys swim the river and got met by border patrol right there. And this is probably five, six years ago. And so... Back then, they were catching a lot of these guys. But now, it's a Linsky 101. Talk about an unsung job, being Border Patrol right now. Oh, yeah. These guys. These poor Border Patrol guys. I'm amazed that they're able to get up every morning and go to work and do the job. Yeah, but that's part of the Linsky mindset, is you overwhelm the system. But these cartels have this down. They have it down perfectly. They send in a bunch of migrants in one direction, in one area. It overwhelms the Border Patrol. And then just a number of a few miles down the road, that's when they send over it, their it, drugs. It's like football their, play. It's an end around. They put the fake to one side and they run the other way. It, and this is not something new. You know, like they make no. these incredible seizures. Guys, you know, and most of these seizures yeah. are what we call gillies, you know. The cartels are so, oh my God, you have so much that if they give, they basically give us, here, take this, put it on TV, post it in the newspaper, but we're getting five more loads. They're all bigger than that. It's like, oh, yeah. you know, major stores, they allow for theft. They adjust their prices to allow for theft and damage. Same thing. They incorporate it in their price. Certain amount of, uh, of yeah. product will be seized. Okay. That's cool. Once we got in. Tenfold. There's no, f it's supply and demand. As long as there's a demand, they're going to feed the demand. But that's a whole nother, another show. You know, scary thing is Russia's dealings with Venezuela. That frightens me a bit because with our borders being so open, I mean, you know, there was a, you remember the movie Red Dawn? 
Patrick Swayze. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they, you know, the Russians came in through Mexico. And, you know, look, I'm not saying that could happen, but. Well, I'm saying it could happen. I mean, it's, you know. Well, one of the things, and I think this affects New York in a major way, is that the number of gang members, when you're talking numbers like this, and I'm coming from a military perspective and a strategic, you know, if I wanted to infiltrate and send guys that are going to actually do serious damage from a military and attack type of uh, scenario, you have plenty of people to mask any kind of actual infiltration that you want to do. I mean, when you have, say, 10,000 people a day, even if, you know, 9-11 was created by 19 people, there were 19 guys that caused all that damage. And, you know, that day itself was horrible. But the economy after that, you know, you guys were dealing it because you were physically there. The rest of the world, and especially the rest of the United States, we were just watching it. I know some guys that were so traumatized just from seeing it on TV. They didn't go to work for three months. And so, it, it, you know, the crazy thing about it is, and I don't want to get into that because that, I know it's so terrorism and filling the fear. Anybody that doesn't think that there are terrorists coming across that order I, right now wait. is just, they're just so ignorant that they just well, yeah, shouldn't it, even drive. A closet military, it, 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 out of 10,000 people, you don't know how many, you know, they're all coming in civilian clothes, obviously. You don't know how many are trained military. You know, you know, oh, yeah. Italian. No, I saw some guys. So when we, when I went down to Panama with Congressman Owens and Congressman Tom, I remember he's out of Wisconsin. Yeah. Those guys wanted to see firsthand how these immigrants and the trail that these guys were coming across the Darien Gap down in Panama, you know, extremely dangerous journey. And so the question that they wanted to answer is, you know, how is it that America is offering such an amazing package to these immigrants that they would make this trek. Then, you know, a lot of them died. Most of the women are raped. Everybody is robbed. And yet they're in their mind. They're like, even if I have to go through that, it's still worth it. So we take that for granted. these Congress here, yet we take that for granted. Because we're yeah. put into it. We know no other system, no other way. But it, yeah, but to your point, when we were there, we saw a couple of guys come out of, and they had military backpacks. These guys can't, so most of the guy, most of the people that were coming out of the Darien Gap, one guy was so bad that he probably was, he probably lost his feet. He had, you know, his feet were so, they were really close to gangrenous. And they were, he was in such bad, he was being carried by another migrant because he couldn't walk anymore. So lots of people are, you know, limping. And it's just like, you could tell the journey of walking that far and crossing that many rivers was just brutal on them. We saw a couple of two guys and they said they were from Cuba. They came across and they looked like they could do it. You know, they could turn around and go back and do it three or four more times because there were a number of us down there that were prior military, another, you know, another ranger and another special forces guy. And we both looked at them and they said, a hundred percent, those guys are military. Okay. So why are Cuban military coming across the Darien Gap and obviously heading on their way to the United States? You know, some of it is because to all the major cities, all the major yeah. hubs, they're being funneled to it. So again, another problem we have, the busloads that come in. I mean, 
we're inundated right now. Our system is at capacity, above capacity. They had a tent city basically set up on an island in the East River. And the weird thing is, no one showed up. A handful of migrants showed up there. And they were, yeah. again, my thing was, who's going to direct them to the tent city? I don't know how the city handled that. I'm out of the loop when it comes to those things. But I do know that this tent city shut down about a week ago, a week and a half. Because nobody showed up? They had it open. (laughs) No one came. But now they're looking at thousands coming. I don't know if they're going to reopen it, you know, and again, at what cost, you know? They got certain federal money. Eric Eric Adams is, Mayor Adams has asked for a billion dollars and for 30,000 migrants. Rightly so. But again, at the end of the day, it falls on the city, you know? I mean, yeah, we yeah. need federal aid, but it's going to end up, my taxes are going to end up going up. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. I actually extrapolated that out and I figured out just based on the number of migrants that have come across, you know, they're saying it's around 5 million have come across in the last two years. That means based on the numbers that Mayor Adams is talking about, that's $167 billion that it's costing the United States just from the numbers that have come already. Now you start talking about 15 to 18, 20,000 a day. And I guarantee you, once that flood starts, there's no limit to how big it's going to get. And it's going to get really, really ugly. I don't understand why all the states that are on the border, the National Guard is not activated in all those states. Yeah. Well, Texas just did. Texas actually sent 400 National Guardsmen to... Well, I mean, they need to deploy. That, see, that's the, sad, that's the scary part. If we have to deploy our military to our borders... Now, again, it's not without in the realm of possibility. Look at other countries. Their military is on their border. We're one of the few countries whose military is not on our border. If you think about it, look at Korea. Look at the Chinese border. The military is on the border. And... Again, we have so much military overseas, maybe our military needs to be on our border. I mean, I'm a layman when it comes to this. I wasn't in the military. You were. Thanks for joining us. Your attention today brings us one step closer to exposing and eliminating the evil that brings crime to our communities. Hit subscribe and share this episode. Together, we will bring justice to every victim.